Okay, hello everyone. Welcome along to another BBI Pilots podcast. Today we are back on more familiar turf after the last podcast from uh, an interview with Pilot Edge. Uh, today we're back with Andy of TFM. Hey Andy, how's life? Hello, everything's going good over here. Um, people might know I had foot surgery back at the beginning of August, and that recovery yes. is actually going pretty well. Great, good to hear you back in the swing of things, at least with TFM, and hopefully uh, everything else is coming back around as well. And we're here with Marshall as co-host, as Johnny is unable to be with us today. Hey, Marshall. Hey. Okay, so this is going to be quite a lengthy one, I think, and there's quite a bit to discuss TFM-wise, although I don't think it was too long since we last did a podcast, but quite a bit's happened, moved pretty quickly. I think the last time was just after Flight Sim Expo. Um, I think before we kind of delve back in time, we'll start with the current situation on the most leading edge um, TFM, if you like, and that is the source bills. So I know there's been a lot of talk about how to create uh, a build from source for TFM. And if you want a guide, there is one now on the bvipilots.net website. Um, so you can go there, all.com now indeed either, and you can find that guide. So we won't go into the details on how to build it. I think that's kind of a waste of time. Um, but could you tell us, Andy, a bit more about the uh, reasoning behind encouraging more people to build from source when they can, and also the recent uh, changeover for the TFM heartbeat? Yeah, okay. So we can start with uh, why should you build from source? Now, I'm going to precede that by the fact that you do it at your own risk, and if there is damage to your operating system or other files by chance, we are not responsible. So just figured I would get that out of the way. So, so the reason why you would build this uh, TFM from source is because it is a lot better to get early feedback from people uh, in terms of features and bugs and things like that because the problem you have, and uh, this might have been prevalent in previous uh, preview builds and releases, somebody would report a bug and then we can't fix it because we would have to literally unwind half of TFM in order to fix it. Or we would introduce something and we would not get feedback on it in the preview versions and it would make it into the official release and the preview versions would continue on and someone would recommend a feature change. Well, in that particular case, a feature change would require rebuilding a significant portion of TFM to put it in there so it never made it in there. And that's why we need people to build from source, if at all possible, because then we can catch these things early. That way we don't have to unwind TFM in order to get it to work right, or to add the thing, or to fix the bug, or whatever it may be. Um, a good example I use is, uh, this is going to come up later, 
but say we're building a new Navigraph feature and people are building from source and they're reporting things, no big deal. We say, okay, well, here's a start of a feature for you. Give us feedback on it. If someone says, oh, well, we don't like the overall design of it because it doesn't lend itself to whatever feature they may want later on in the future, then we can say, oh, okay, well, let's scrap the whole idea and start over maybe a day's time wasted as opposed to months and months and potentially a year, depending on how uh, threaded through TFM that particular feature ends up getting. Um, so that's why we encourage that. And on top of that, uh, people can get early access to features that are not released even in the preview build. So you can think of it as kind of like a pre-preview. Okay, as far as, no. yeah, so as far as the heartbeat is concerned, so TFM has a heartbeat. Basically all it is, is it segments of code that make TFM work. I mean, it's the core thing of what TFM does, for an example, uh, getting your autopilot altitude or getting your speed. Um, we needed to move part of, well, I'd say all of that over from one project structure to another. And totaling, by the time you got done with it, it's probably around 12,000 lines of source code <laughs> that we had to move. And I would say that a lot of it actually required delicate surgery, if you want to put it that way, because again, this heartbeat is threaded all the way throughout TFM. And so we had to unravel all of that stuff and then hook it back up again once we got it moved. But a couple of weeks, there was a time, there was a time sometime last week and the week before where we were telling people, do not, if at all costs, do not download the source builds because it literally mm -hmm. was broken. It would not compile. You would get thousands and thousands of errors. Mm -hmm. But at this point, the heartbeat has moved. It's been verified and tested. And uh, the old heartbeat has been dropped out of TFM. So everything is good to go with that and people can resume their source builds if they want to. So with regard to reporting bugs or features that potentially people would like to see modified that they've experienced with the source build, what is the process going to be like for that? Would you like people to do that on GitHub? Would you like people to have a certain level of foresight before doing so? Because obviously it's a really difficult balance for you guys when people are building from source since there can be bugs in there that are already known about or that are in the process of being fixed. Uh, so, yeah, what I would tell people to do, first of all, it's got to go on GitHub because if it doesn't, as we've always said, if it doesn't, then it's never been... Uh, no one ever said it, it's, it doesn't exist. Uh -huh. So given that, um, when you report it on GitHub, 
make sure that you do searches on the GitHub issues to make sure that it has not been reported already. If it has been reported already, make sure you put a comment on the existing report. And aside from that, what I would probably tell people is in your bug reports or feature requests and things like that, uh, proceed the title in the uh, title field of the issue, proceed it with source. That way, you know, we, we know that you're talking about the source code builds as opposed to like this version number or this official build number because the source code builds actually don't have version numbers. So that's the only way we can identify it. Okay, so keep things organized. Yeah. Now, I guess another useful question here might be, what sort of people would you say this source building or building from sources is from? Uh, is this for, sorry. Um, you know, do you recommend this only for experienced users? Do you recommend people use this for their everyday flights? What would be your guidance for people on that? So I would recommend that uh, people build from source if they're experienced. So, I mean, you have to have some level, I'd say, intermediate technical experience. Sure, yeah. Uh, as far as what to use it for, I would not necessarily use it on production flights. Um, so um, I'll, I'll take this back. So the core features of TFM, what we already know, works. Um, you can very well use it on production flights. So for an example, uh, the PMDG stuff to a certain extent works uh, well enough to do flights and the panels aren't all the way finished, but there's enough of them there that you could get started and have first officer help you. Um, some of the newer stuff, I wouldn't necessarily recommend using on production flights with airlines or flight trackers until you, we know that it's solid. Okay, and just to make it clear to people, so what can they kind of expect in the um, source build right now in terms of the tried and tested, what they might normally use it for, flying a PMDG aircraft, what is currently in there and what has to be rebuilt? So, um, what to expect out of source builds um, and flights. Like I said, the PMDG stuff uh, works to a certain degree. I believe we're roughly about halfway done with the overhead panel. The rest of the panels haven't been done yet. Um, the MCP is done. The, M the FMC is done. So everything with the PMDG is done except for the panels. Um, that goes for the 37, all of the 37s for 2020 and for P3D. Um, the newer features that we had just added, um, there's an offline mode. There is a scenery builder, which we can get into a little bit later. Uh, those have not been tried and tested yet. 
So mess around with them, play around with them, but don't expect them to work until we put something out that says that it's okay to use. <clears throat> okay, great. So moving on from source builds um, onto an issue that we found, um, particularly I think people who maybe didn't use Vansom as much, found during the uh, recent TFM anniversary event because it was busy, because there was a lot of private messages coming in, because there's a lot of control and they might pop up out of nowhere. Some people found, I think, that uh, with Microsoft, it was a bit of an issue having no automatic announcements through SimConnect, as is the case in P3D, of vPilot messages. So that's private messages, frequency messages. And um, so what we did was... I had a little chat with Andy, reached out to the vPilot developer with several possibilities. He wasn't able to help. However, he directed us to a vPilot plugin, which Andy then began looking into. So obviously, this is going to be something inside of TFM that will have parts of vPilot replicated. So I guess my first question would be, how much of vPilot do you intend to replicate inside of TFM? And do you think that's something you're going to have to wait for the survey to, to confirm? Or are you happy to confirm that now? Um, so I can't confirm what that, like whether or not parts will be replicated or not. What I can confirm is at least, at least the parts that we've lost uh, with automatic announcements will be restored. But aside from anything else, I can't confirm one way or the other until the survey closes. All right, that's cool about the, the stuff that we lost. Yeah, um, I don't personally use Microsoft at the minute, but I do feel like it could be a significant issue if I did, especially for me, just because I'm so used to it. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, P3, people that come from P3D, they're going to lose a lot when that when they switch to 2020. Uh, people that are just starting out with 2020 won't necessarily have been used to it enough to even know or care. I mean, they would care in a sense that they want this stuff dealt with, but they wouldn't have been used to it for so long that it's a significant loss to them. So, you know, that, that, that's a good point that, People coming from P3D should at least have the automatic announcements restored so that way they're not losing anything that they're used to. So one question we got around this particular issue was whether you as TFM believe that TFM should only focus on incorporating parts of vPilot that would save users time rather than purely replicating all of vPilot. And I think we have to make clear that it's not going to be a replacement for vPilot, but how do you see it and what, what do you see as being the primary purpose of this plugin apart from so, reading messages? Yeah, so far, aside from restoring the automatic announcements, if it happens to go that far, um, we would only be replacing or duplicating parts of vPilot features that would enhance or improve what's already there. So one of the things that 
I had logged down in my personal notes is when you are in vPilot and you have the tabs across the top. Uh, so like on, on our anniversary flight, for an example, I had like five or seven, somewhere between five and eight different message uh, window, private message windows open off from BVI virtual members that sent me private messages. And so I also had the private messages tabs for controllers. Well, you get 12 or 13 tabs open. The way it works is you tab around the user interface and you hit right arrow once you're on a tab and it takes you to the edit box where the messages are and where you can type messages and all that stuff. It, it, it's really clunky. And then when what happens, you tab around again until you get to that tab that's active. You hit right arrow and you just have to keep repeating it over and over and over again. And if you are in a conversation that requires fast action between you and whoever, you don't need to be tabbing around and arrowing around just to get access to your messages and your edit box. So that may be one thing that we consider. Uh, improving on is the user experience for private messages. Uh, aside from that, it probably things that like that that would improve, you know, the blind person's experience. But we would not redo or replace the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, um, in terms of like improving user experience for private messages you know like you just said in your example there how are you how are you actually looking to do that because you know you could have private messages from controllers pilots supervisors are you going to have some sort of are you going to have some sort of filter or something like that to switch between the three possible variables or are you literally just going to have a list that when you go up and down it you don't end up going pressing down arrow for example and then it jumps to the edit box and you know what what is your actual plan for that? So I don't have any idea right now for a user to, uh, for a UI design model. But uh, if we do do the tabs, you know, it'll be this typical tabs where if you put focus on them, then you can just left and right arrow or control tab and uh, not have focus change on you whenever you're trying to change a tab. Because uh, I think that's the main problem uh, with that is you have the edit box to type messages. You have the tab that puts focus on the edit box when you change it. And you have the read-only edit where you have the system logs where all of the messages come through. And so the whole, I want to try and condense that, but also make it so focus doesn't just unexpectedly change. All right, thanks, Andy. That's a really great explanation there of how the vPilot plugin might be implemented. So let's move on to another upcoming feature. And I'll let you initially explain this before I get into a couple of questions about feasibility and, and usability. And that's TFM keys. Um, could you just give us a bit of a, an explanation as to what the concept behind this is? Yeah, okay. So. TFM keyboard uh, is 
it's a keyboard mode that you can turn on and turn off. And so when you turn it on, then it enables TFM's features and functions. Uh, when you turn it off, it restores the keyboard back to its operating system configured state. So a good example would be the left and right bracket keys are common. Uh, they're TFM entry points for features. So if you have TFM's keyboard turned on, then you can use those functions. If you have them turned off, then you can use the left and right bracket keys, like if you're typing and you need to use them for a document, then you just turn off TFM's keyboard mode, use your right bracket, left bracket, or whatever, and then turn it back on. Um, so the good scenario is if you are in the middle of doing work and you want to do a flight, but you want TFM to still work, and uh, you need full access to your keyboard. So then the idea would be once you get up to cruise or a point where you can leave your airplane alone, then you turn off TFM's keyboard mode, let your flight do whatever it needs to do. In the event you need to interact with it, turn on keyboard mode, interact with it, turn off keyboard mode. Uh, the reason why we did this is because First of all, we're running out of hotkeys. Left and right bracket keys are just limiting uh, to what we can or can't do. And it also helps support offline mode, which we can get in later. Um, so the, the idea is to be able to use the entire keyboard for TFM features. For an example, the scenery builder, if you turn on keyboard mode and press the letter A, just by itself, then it launches the scenery builder. Uh, so there is a survey question out there that asks, should we start, since TFM does have this, should we be starting to move features out of the left and right bracket keys and expand them out towards the regular keyboard? Or should we keep them the way they are, but use other features for the regular keyboard keys? And uh, yeah, so that's the basic premise behind the uh, TFM keyboard. Okay, yeah, because that was going to be my next question, which features do you envisage moving out? But obviously that sounds like it's something that um, will get decided partly in consultation with the survey. Right now we don't have it. In the event that it does go that way, where we start moving keys outside of the left and right bracket keys, we don't know which ones or where they're going to be placed. So right. right now we're just trying to get an idea. Do most users want that or do they want things mm -hmm. left the way they are? How would you see this working in terms of um, ensuring users aren't having to constantly turn this mode on or off if they were looking to type to a controller or type into the FMC or something like that? Well, so the general point is uh, it's set up to be used whatever way why users would want to use it. But the general workflow would be that you only turn it on when you absolutely have to. So for an example, if you are setting up your FMC and you're in pre-flight flow, and all that stuff. You don't necessarily have to use 
the left and right bracket keys because as far as checking your MCP stuff, there's the MCP dialogues, whatever. And if you need it, just turn it on, do whatever you need to do, turn it back off again. Okay, good to know. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that develops. And um, it's definitely got potential. And uh, we will see what happens in the survey and so forth. So is the idea essentially that you are looking to transition away from the bracket keys or um, do you intend to leave some stuff within those as well? Yeah, we we don't have any idea right now. But what we, we did know for a fact is we needed a way for users to use their full keyboard or have tfm turned on at the same time you know that that's the whole goal you know you can use your keyboard at the same time as you use tfm so you just have to flip between the two okay so that leads us on to some of the um sort of cosmetic changes in terms of tfm's modes so one of them being the um offline mode which um is from my understanding linked to whether the sim is connected to tfm right yeah so offline mode basically is uh literally what it is it's tfm not connected to a sim mm -hmm. and so the, the idea behind it is uh, two different things one is to let tfm automatically connect and disconnect from the sim as it opens and closes and the other one is some features do not require you to use TFM at, with the simulator. Uh, one of them being uh, Scenery Builder. You don't have to use it with a simulator. Uh -huh. So why, why require the simulator to be open when you don't need to? So... Um, that actually has been implemented. So you could use it either online or offline mode. Um, other features may be like Navigraph lookup features. You know, I need to look up a sit or a star. Well, you don't, shouldn't have to be yeah. online in order to do that. Okay, makes total sense. And um, the airport's database, speaking of that, the scenery database, whatever you want to call it, um, has also seen a bit of a shakeup. Uh, what's going on with that? Uh, yeah, so the the scenery builder um, has had a drastic rebuild. It doesn't even look close to what we used to have in settings where you had to tell TFM about your make runways output folders, and then you had to build the database, then you had to restart TFM, then you had to do this, and then you had to do that while you were in the simulator you wanted to build it for. So an overview on this one, if you start TFM, you turn on TFM keyboard, press the letter A, a dialog pops up giving you a choice. Do you want to build this database for 2020 or do you want to build it for p3d now, i have to qualify that it only works with p3d5 at the time um 
Right now, we actually do not have enough users that use P3D4 to consider putting it in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, suffice it to say that it works with 2020 and P3D5. And so what you mm -hmm. do is you choose whatever simulator you want to build this for. So for an example, you choose 2020, you press the OK button, and it launches, automatically launches uh, Make Runways, builds the Run Make Runways output. Uh, then once you close Make Runways, then TFM takes over again and builds the database and then gives you a final report that tells you this is how many airports it found which is the confirmation that it builds successfully. And that's it. And just as a brief um, sidetrack, because I'm sure there will be a very select few number of people wanting me to ask this, how difficult is it to get such a feature to be um, linked up with something like P3D version 4, or even, dare I say it, P3D version 6. Not that I know any BBI users uh, currently using that, but uh, obviously they may well be. Uh, I do not know how, but uh, they may well be. Um, so it shouldn't be way too difficult to do, but we need some incentive. Uh, if you yeah. know what I mean. So we need people from P3, yeah. significant enough people from P3D4 or 6 to say, hey, look, we need this. Otherwise, the only other option they have is to have us leave the current implementation of airports database and settings, and then they can use it that way. But here again, we're duplicating something that already exists and something that's a little bit better than that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, well, before we move on at all, was that everything you wanted to say about the new airports database functionality? Um, yeah, so, yeah, there's one thing I wanted to mention. So, and mm -hmm. when you're choosing an airport, or when you're choosing a uh, simulator to build the database for 2020 is not going to ask for any additional information because the idea is you put make runways in a folder of your choice and it just builds everything there p3d it's going to ask you uh, in this dialog box if you choose it it's going to ask you for your p3d's install folder and so once you do that then you don't have to reset it again it'll just be there when you open the dialog box again. So it'll save that path uh, until you change it. And uh, that's really all I got at this point for the uh, scenery builder. Okay, cool. And we should also make mention potentially, um, I think you might have touched on it, that obviously lobby will be included. Do you see that solving some of the issues that people have had with encrypted sceneries? within Microsoft? It very well may be possible. You know, I can't guarantee one way or the other, but it is very well possible that it could cause, or that it could resolve those issues. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And um, okay, so moving on to the TFM4 survey, one thing that we've had a couple of 
request to do, and I thought this would be pretty cool, is to go back first over last year's TFM full survey and have a look at the progress on some of the projects that were talked about in that survey yeah, um, sure. and see what's happened with them. So yeah, feel free to, to pitch in as well, Marshall. Um, okay, so going back to, to last year's full survey, um, I think we can see that quite a bit has has changed in terms of what we were able to do and priorities. So we'll look at that as well. It started off with the discussion of a mobile app uh, with features such as the PMDG FMC and a flight status tab. Now, 60% of people said they were interested in such an app and 86% of people were interested in iOS. So pretty overwhelming for iOS there. Do you, Andy, intend to follow through with this and are you intending to do that yourself or are you going to be looking at employing or you know bringing into the mix uh, since you're obviously a uh, an open source project um, other developers with iOS skill sets if they wish to um, so when we looked at the feasibility of it it wasn't necessarily all that feasible uh, we just wanted to get a good projection uh, if it wasn't very complicated then we were going to obviously put it on the back plate uh it's not very feasible to some especially for users because you would have to buy extra software you would have to make use of um what's it called wide client and wide server uh from fsu itc and that has additional configuration options and this and that and everything else and Looking into it more, uh, you can't go outside of your current local network. So for an example, if you started a flight, hopped on a bus to go somewhere in town and it thought you were going to be able to have TFM track your flight for you and report on it, uh, no go. So the feasibility of it is not very good because, I mean, there isn't really a point in having a mobile app that you can track your flights with when you're in your house. And outside your house, it's not going to work. Because we found, like, most people, they're just going to have their headphones on if they want to track their flight uh, while they're doing other things or... Some people just put their headphones down and just go check on it every now and again. So the mobile app wasn't very feasible, so we just scratched it. Right, okay. So it sounds like what you're saying with regard to at least the flight tracking segment of it, you would really need something to pull that data from. And if TFM were to do that in-house, I would imagine there would be expenses associated and you could potentially pull from, from something like VATSIM um, which is a whole other segment, but that then does rely on the user being connected up to such a network. Yeah, so basically wide client and wide server, they're built into FSU IPC. Okay, so if you have at least FSU IPC 6 and 7, you already have wide server. And so the idea, though, um, it would be an extra cost for users because they charge like $30.00. 30 US dollars, I believe it is, for wide server. And the wide client that goes along with it, uh, 
you uh, again, it's built into FBESHO IPC where you basically access the offsets, but what you have to do is give it like an IP address and a path and it will give you a web response uh, and you have to keep track of that. That's mainly expensive for the user. I mean, we'd pay $30, but uh, like users would pay $30 and there's additional setup that you have to do. And so from, uh, and it only lets you deal with your own network. It doesn't let you deal outside the network. So from that point, it's unfeasible for us, but it's also unfeasible for you. Okay, so the mobile app proved to be an unfeasible prospect for TFM development. Um, okay, so the next question was, what PMDG aircraft should we focus on after the 737 is finished? 64% said the 747, and I would assume the rest were the 777. Um, what snags have you hit, Andy, in terms of trying to continue support for the 747? And what timelines do you have for that process now, especially given that PMDG are moving the 747 across to Microsoft probably within the next year? So, okay. Um, so the majority of people on that survey said 747 and priorities have flopped it around. So we're at this point, we're going with the minority and doing the 77 first because PMDG is releasing the 77 series for 2021. So once we get done with the 37 and can pack that away for the most part, we'll start on the 77 or at least continue where we started. Um, the 47, hmm. that's on the back burner because uh, PMDG said they're going to put it on the back burner. That comes after the 77. So you have 37, 77, 47. We're going to follow that suit. And then after that comes the max 10. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense with the, with the priority switch, I think. And I, I think to be fair to, to TFM, that was a pretty community-driven decision as well. I think there was quite a bit of consultation when PMDG announced the lineup of aircraft, and there was a pretty unanimous agreement on the, the various groups and platforms that it made sense to focus on the 777 ahead of the 74. Yeah. yeah, so like we initially, we, we pushed to have the 47 done first because we had already started on the overhead panels. We got like maybe three or four panels into the overhead. And then PMDG says, oh, well, we're going to do the 77 first, not the 47. It's like, well, you know, look, we already started on the 47. People are, you know, it's like people are expecting that we're working on the 47 for P3D. So, you know, we can't work on the 77 for 2020 and the 47 for P3D at the same time. We have to take them one at a time because they're so complex and huge. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, thinking about it. Okay, so more of the 77 is done than the 47. So it's like, okay, you know, we already have a large part of the 47 overhead done. So why not? And this is before we switched over to, you know, .NET 7, which is another ball of wax. Uh, so, <laughs> so we uh, we figured, you know, okay, well, since the 77 is this part way done already, we'll just pick up where we left off and keep going. So it, we then decided that we'll just work on the 77 first, put the 47 next. Gotcha. Okay, okay. yeah. Yeah. Right, I'll just speed this along because we've got a bunch of stuff to get through for this full survey and then we haven't even got onto the, the current full survey. Um, but the next thing was first officer features. So 73% of people said that checklists and separation of workload features should be included. Um, what's next? Has this feature hit and do you still intend to follow through with this in the coming years? So we do plan on continuing with that. Um, snags that we've hit so far is what what workflow you know like so if for an example the pre-flight flow there's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different pre-flight flows out there which one do you use so we finally settled on what pre-flight flow to use um actually i can give a call out thanks to pmdg for actually letting us use their their checklists uh, because there's there's an XML file in the 37 for 2020. It's a big old, huge, like four or five meg text file that gives all of the flows, all of the startup flows, cleanup flows, shutdown flows, everything you would want. All the checklists are there uh, and whatever values to the switches, like should it be on, off, closed, open, whatever, they're all there. So we asked them if we could use it in TFM, and they said, by all means, go ahead. Uh, the only thing we want you to do is to put our name in the about box. So that's what we're going to use. Uh, the only thing that we have to consider now is design. How are we going to design it to make it most efficient and effective for people Okay, good to know. So that's still ongoing. Uh, the next thing I think this one will be pretty quick was VATSIM data. So this was back when there was this idea of pulling from the VATSIM data feed that proved to be pretty unstable. Um, ATIS information, facility info, traffic information, etc. Um, obviously, you know, you can be can be brief about this because we I think a lot of people would know, but obviously this feature hit some snags. But do you think uh, the upcoming plugin will be able to add some of these features and fill that hole? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, Plugin can address those issues. As far as the traffic, I'm not sure. Um, there may be a way of doing it. It's just some uh, design methods that we have to think about. But overall, I think, yes, it's a more stable way to uh, deal with those issues. Okay, good to know. And the next thing was this uh, 
oh so elusive concept of TFM documentation. Um, 60% of people said they were interested in text files. 53% were interested in YouTube videos, which we'll also touch on later with the blog. 14% uh, were interested in a new website hosting documentation. Uh, sorry, no, not 14, 40. And uh, 33% were interested in purely textual blog posts. Um, what is the intention for documentation going forward? And are you still looking for someone to create this or do you intend to do this yourself kind of what's the what's the progress on that given that it's such yeah. a mammoth task right now yeah so right now we're kind of stuck in a rock between a uh, rock and a hard place because first of all we haven't been able to find anybody we thought we had someone but they've had to back out for personal reasons but uh you know and it's so the the subject came up i'm gonna bring it up the subject came up about uh which i'm sure we'll get into in a little bit this idea that tfm is eventually going to abandon p3d came up on the email list and the point that we were trying to make is you know look there's only two of us you know the project has gotten so huge that it's starting to become difficult for two people to manage and the workflow and the workloads just mm. pile up and pile up and pile and now you know yeah. now they're so tall you know a, a, an airplane at thirty-five thousand feet could crash into it <laughs> i mean that's how right. that's how much stuff we have and so it's like you know we're two people we're an open source project we have no funding and so the idea is we need people to be able to contribute, whether it's source code, it's open source. If you see a feature that you want and you know how to code or you know someone that can do it for you, then have them do it and have them submit a pull request. If you know how to write technical documentation, like step-by-step how-to guides or... Um, things like that, user guides, whatever, then put them in a text file, send them in as a pull request, and we'll look at it. If it's decent, then we will put it in there. The main point is, you know, this is a more, it's community driven and more than just using it, giving it feedback and having us do all the all the work you know if people like i said if people know source code or they know someone that knows source code and they can put something in then by all means you know that it's just another level of community driven support okay so a little plug there if anyone does want to write documentation that's the thing right i mean it's easy to complain that there is no documentation it's a lot more difficult to actually go ahead and make a start on, on writing some. So, um, you know, if you have that ability, then um, go ahead. No one's going to complain. Um, the next thing on the survey was database features. Um, I think uh, the database was all the rave back then. 86% um, of people requested flight tracking within the database and 13% requested landing reports. Um, I guess my question is kind of twofold on this. Firstly, 
How important do you think it is for TFM to have some kind of flight tracker within it, given that there's so many softwares out there that can already do that? And do you intend to still follow through on that? So as far as different flight trackers go, um, this is true. There's millions and millions of flight trackers. Some of them have you pay. Some of them are free. Some of them are accessible. Some of them are not. Um, that particular idea came from the fact that people have been wanting so much to dump the add-ons. If they can dump the add-on as, as much as they can, then all the better. I mean, you figure like this, you know, we get over to 2020, and we've dumped the weather add-on, and the only thing that we usually have open now is TFM and a flight tracker of some sort. Rather than having a weather, a flight tracker, TFM, the simulator, and maybe some other passenger add-on. So the idea was that it's an accessible way to get rid of an extra add-on for those people that don't care about virtual airlines. They don't really care about VATSIM. They just want to get in their airplane and fly. But they want some way of being able to track their ability to improve. And so that's where that came from. Uh, it's still on the table. Okay, good to know. Um, yeah, I know there are a lot of add-ons that do that. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's all going to be personal preference. As to which one you want to use, there are some pretty non-intrusive ones. But um, good to know that the TFM database still has, you know, the potential for... Um, advancement i guess it's just from your perspective is it kind of obviously like you were saying there's there's two of you so a feature like that whilst being a nice to have is it something that you kind of have to compartmentalize given the amount of time you have yeah so we have to decide you know what is more of a priority uh over something else you know the database is nice it's nice to keep track of your flights and your your landing rates and you know it's nice to have a speech history that uh, keeps track of everything for you and segments away what's a pre-flight flow object and what is not and all that stuff but when it comes down to it we have to figure what's higher on the priority list and at this point it is getting some of these old things cleaned up and replaced with newer technology and newer workflows that we're now allowed to do. And uh, finishing the 37, that's mainly our priorities at this point. Okay, so I guess my final question related to the, to the previous full survey would be, you know, what would you say to someone who might come back and say, um, a lot of the items on the full survey were either not fully implemented or not to a relevant degree. And so what is the point of the survey? Would you say that it's fair to, to come back to them and then say, well, um, some of the reasons were out of your control? Or do you think that you purposefully changed TFM's priority list and that was a good thing or a bad thing? 
So I'd say that the FOS surveys are there to get people's input on issues. It's like the description for the current one, you know, it says the fall feed fall feedback form is to gather and collect input based on current issues going on in BVI pilots communities or to identify or establish some preferences as a group. And so, you know, uh, issues in a community or preferences of a group as a whole can change from year to year. What we propose in these surveys are not things that we have committed to doing unless we state in the question that we're committed to doing them. We just want to know what direction to go. A lot of this is just hypothetical, you know, this came up in this facility for an example, you know, the mobile app thing, you know, I discovered that you could actually do something like that. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm just curious what people think. Because if it's feasible to do, then we can put it on the list of things to do. Uh, yeah. As far as, as far as, well, some of the, you know, that deals with the, it's irrelevant point. As far as, to some degree, are not implemented, again, we're two people with a very large stack of things to get done at some point. So if you're fall survey point gets tossed on the list of things for us to do it could be quite a while before it even gets done unless somebody steps up to help mm. okay so so to a greater or lesser extent the full surveys are very much throwing around ideas uh to see what kind of sticks would you say more than any kind of commitment well, you know, and like I said, you know, so we've dealt with the preferences part. The other thing is to address yeah. issues. So yeah. one of the couple of the things on this year's survey deals with different issues that have come up in the community. And I want, you know, we want people's feedback. What do you think about this issue? What should we do with it? Uh, one of those happens to be, should we leave P3D or should we not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and that takes right. me very well into the new the new survey because that was pretty much top of my list. And I know this has been quite controversial. Yeah. Um, obviously, there are questions to judge kind of how people are using P3D, their, their preferences. Um, do you think it's fair to say, uh, Andy, that the, the trend is shifting away from P3D and that's why TFM made the announcement it made about a month ago with regard to support for P3D. So there is a trend uh, that people are starting to move away from it. You know, once they get a system that's good enough to support it, then they start looking into it and, you know, they at some point get some level of community support and they switch over at some point or you have the new users that are just starting out and that's the first thing they go for so i mean <clears throat> there still is a significant part of the uh, bvi pilots community that uses p3d 
but I'm thinking that they're using it because one, it's their only option at this point. And two, mm. they're so used to how it works that they don't want to switch over. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that this, one of the things that the fall survey does is it asks questions to try and gauge what people are using it for. You know, why are you, how, first of all, how many, how often do you use it and why do you use it? Because if 2020 meets your needs or TFM can meet your needs somewhere else, then, you know, that's potentially where TFM might lead people. Um, right. Yeah. Now it's not to say that we're going to get rid of support for P3D. You know, it's like came up in May. Uh, community issue that came up in May, you know, is, well, you know, TFM is looking at abandoning P3D and it's like, okay, so since, uh, since P3D6 doesn't support PMDG stuff, or I should say yeah. the other way around, PMDG does not support P3D6. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so the more versions of P3D that, aren't supported, then the further in the back window P3D5 gets. And the more users, you know, at some point there's going to be a brick wall stopping point. You're either going to have to stick back in P3D5 forever, or you're going to have to switch to 2020. Yeah. And like Declan had made back in May, <clears throat> the comment that, you know, look, PMDG hasn't updated P3D5 support for things and their stuff since January. Yeah. Technically, they declared it quality of life fixes only at some point soon they're going to declare it. My guess is, is they're going to declare it end of life. And here we come upon a problem where TFM either supports quality life fixes only or they support dead airplanes, you know, dead software. There's, there's no point in supporting software that has been declared end of life. So at this point, P3D isn't going anywhere. Um, yeah. Whatever support you have in it, if it matches close to P, uh, uh, 2020, in the case of the PMDG stuff, it's almost identical. Then you get the new stuff. In the case that it's drastically different than this is what I had said in a blog post, then 2020 will have to take priority and P3D will have to take the backseat. And so, you know, this is to get an idea on what people, where are people at with P3D? Are you even interested anymore? Are you using it because you have no other choice? Mm. Right. So, so yeah, and I think that's a really logical um, roadmap and explanation of the of the decision. Um, you know, I don't want to touch on this too much. Uh, we certainly don't want to go into to individuals, but I thought I'd throw it in here. I mean, how does it make you feel when you get these kind of furious uh, messages about 
TFM's decision, given that TFM is open source and that P3D support is obviously sticking around. I mean, does it does it demotivate you? Does it does it make you question certain things? Because I mean, there were there you know from 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 more than one individual certainly, there have been some pretty um, disgusting you know messages and yeah, comments they're... about this decision. You know, it's been controversial for sure. Yeah, so in some sense it is affecting it it does affect TFM progress. In other cases it really doesn't. You know, it I'd say, you know, it's like a hit in the gut for a minute or two and then you have to you have to push it off and say, Well, I can't stay like this, I can't let it you know, whatever people's derogatory or inflammatory comments be, you can't let them affect you as a project maintainer because I mean you're going to get that regardless of whether or not the majority of the community that you support likes what you do or doesn't like what you do you're always going to have two sides to things so I mean it's yeah. you just have to deal <laughs> right for sure and I think uh, that's you know yeah. it's going to be one of them things that we're you know People can have their, their opinions. It's absolutely fine whether we agree with them or not to come and say, okay, you know, I, I enjoy P3D. And uh, I think it's unfortunate that it's taken a back seat. Um, you know, you then have to come out and lay out a logical roadmap as to why you've, you've made that um, choice, you know, obviously as do they. Um, but when it descends into that kind of, kind of uh, vitriolic discussion that we've seen, it's just not helpful for anybody. And uh, yeah, it's really unfortunate to, to see that from certain people, I think. But anyway, um, Moving on to happier territory, obviously the the, the flyby wire was was discussed in the um, <laughs> survey, um, yes. and I know this you know it makes a lot of people happy to see an Airbus coming around the corner. Hopefully, um, yeah. so what is the timeline on that for TFM, and how much work can you actually do in preparation for flyby wire providing more access to the EFB? So. Um... Just so people know, yes, we do have an Airbus that we can finally support. It is not Aer Aerosoft, it is fly-by-wire, which from what I understand is more realistic in point um, than the Aerosoft. And I don't think they actually have a 2020 version yet. Not for the 320, they don't, know, And I don't, I don't think they plan on one either, so... Yeah, and so um, just to rewind a little bit, we when we were at Flight Sim Expo, we went to visit Fly-By-Wire just to see what they were up to. And we asked them, okay, you know, this is what we do. This is how we work. Can you – we're looking for an Airbus to support. Can you help us out? And the lead developer for Fly-By-Wire actually said, you know what? <laughs> Uh, what you need is already there. And besides that, we're open source. So, I mean, you have more of a say in what happens to fly-by-wire than what you think. And that's like, really? There's already stuff there. And he's like, yeah, I mean, all of the panels that – we have all the stuff for the panels, and we have – the FM the, the FMC, you know, that that was the main thing because we like, you know, we noticed that you have SimBridge and you can remotely access it 
uh, the FMC, the SimBridge. Problem is, is the SimBridge user interface is not accessible. I mean, we can see the text, but it all appears in one big, huge, gigantic line of text. And so the guy said, well, you can actually access remotely. You can proxy off of SimBridge. Just pull the data from that, and uh, you can actually manipulate the FMC from that. Uh, so... We cre <laughs> we got home and I looked the stuff up like almost straight away the next week. I looked the stuff up and the documentation for their panels and their their LVARs and their SDK and all that stuff is unbelievably good. It's probably one of the best ones I've seen. And to test out their SimBridge idea we created a test project that goes and retrieves the fmc out of simbridge and not only retrieves it and formats it the way that it's supposed to but also can manipulate it change pages input data and so all of that was successful you know we were basically able to configure the fmc to the point where we had to start flipping switches on the panels and we called it good because i mean it's like you can fill out six or seven pages of an fmc worth of data before you sign before you have to start turning switches on you're doing good um, so hmm. we we went and we Ask them because part of the problem is you need your SIM brief ID. You need to put it into the airplane settings in order for it to have SIM brief support. So that came up in the whole EFB thing. So all of the aircraft settings are in the EFB, which unfortunately is not accessible to us to use and it's not accessible to pull data from. So we put a thing out to them and on their Discord. They actually said it's something that we plan on doing. Once, you know, when we do it, we can't guarantee or promise when we're going to be able to do it. But it is sort of medium-ish high on our priority list to get it into SimBridge. And they said once we get it into SimBridge, uh, you can have full access to it like you do the FMC. So in that particular case, then we will have a fully accessible Airbus. Oh well, I guess that I guess that'd be uh, I guess that'd be a good thing then if they can if they can port the uh, if they can port the EFB over to uh, over to Simbridge because it sound it does sound like you managed to you were pretty successful with with it uh, through that method. Yeah, uh, so we were able to, like I said, pull it and configure it. And the nice thing about it is there, there's no guessing on what the uh, layout of the FMC screen looks like because when we request the FMC screen and its data, the response we get actually tells us what it's supposed to look like. And right. it goes so far as to tell us what colors, how many spaces to the left, how many spaces to the right, how far up, how far down. <laughs> wow. wow. I mean, they're particularly precise on that. 
<laughs> yeah, but... I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it it does sound like they are. It does sound like they are keen to uh, keen to work with us in some capacity, and uh, and even if they can't do anything themselves, you know, provide us with some some helpful hints. But uh, yeah, I mean. I won't get too carried away with my thoughts on it, uh, Deck. I mean, I'll, I'll let you take it. Yeah, so the estimated timeline, we don't have any idea. All we know is based off of what they said, and that is that they hope to have both EFBs converted over to Simbridge by the time the 30, 388 is released. Okay, that's interesting. Good, good little tidbit of info. So just to be clear, it's the EFB only that we're waiting on. And um, do you think there's anything the community could do to push them along with that? Or, you know, kind of uh, let them know of interest? Or do you think they're aware of kind of how many people are interested in this? I think they're well aware of what kind of uh, issue it is for us, because we've talked to them in great length about it. Uh, to some extent so I don't think there's anything that anybody well I'll take that back here again it's open source if somebody knows how to take their EFB source and convert it over to Simbridge the way the FMC is then by all means you can go fork their 320 repository work on it and submit the pull request for them because again, you know, there are only so many people. They have a large mm. project, yeah. and you know, this issue yeah. has actually been sitting around in their GitHub repository issue queue for like two years now, two or more years. I mean, they're well aware of. It. They just don't have the people to do it. Yeah, because I know there have been community members who spoke to them about it in the past. I know there's even community members who have used Golden Cursor to try and access the EFB and have been successful in parts of it um, and much less successful than others. Um, okay, so in the meantime, whilst we are waiting for fly-by-wire with that EFB access, um, is there, and I think this was a question on the survey as well, so obviously probably not something that you can you can totally confirm um, given you want to consult the results. Um, but is there items that TFM can work on in preparation so that when that EFB access comes over Simbridge, we're fully ready in other areas? Yeah, so that's a false survey question. Um, uh, whether or not we should wait for the EFB or whether we should work on other things. And uh, I can't confirm one way or the other, but we can... Technically, you know, we can work on other things like the FMC and the panels. Uh, unfortunately, we wouldn't necessarily be able to test them to make sure they worked as they were supposed to. Mm -hmm. You need to have access to the EFB in order to do things. Right, sure. So there is a bit of risk associated or potentially that you would have to go back over some things. Yeah, so um, we're just asking for people's input on yeah. what they think. You know, should we just wait and hold it out, or should we just start working on it at some point? Okay, and um, I think we got our 
uh, we put this question to you in the last podcast um, for people who are looking at a flight sim expo roundup. I think we did one, and we did bring up fly by wire, but I've thrown in again because it was the one that we got. Um, so there are other aircraft that fly by wire themselves are making. You mentioned the the A three eighty that is coming, um, and there are also other companies such as Horizon Sim who use the fly by wire cockpit in their aircraft. Um, they use the Latin VFR external model and then the internal fly-by-wire cockpit for their A321, 19 and 18. Um, I appreciate probably the A380 you'll know more on, but um, what could you say to people about those aircraft and the feasibility of having those um, in the future as well? So we don't know. We haven't looked into them, but the requirements are they have to expose an SDK that is useful enough for us to uh, gain access to all over the majority of the cockpit, one being the FMC is an essential requirement if there is one. And we can't guarantee, you know, just because just because some other developer uses a fly-by-wire cockpit doesn't necessarily mean that it also exposes an SDK or yeah. that it exposes the FMC, or for that matter, that it even uses SimBridge. So uh, it's worth making, uh, it's worth doing uh, a look-see into it to see if they're useful or usable. But here again, you know, we are two-man project, and if we have pretty much all except for the EFB access to a 38 and or a 380 and a 320 then we at this point have no interest in looking for another uh, suitable Airbus unless it's mm -hmm. an Airbus model that we don't currently have on lineup yeah, so just to confirm, the A380, are your indications that fly-by-wire intend to use Simbridge with that project and expose just as much as the 320 NEO to you? Yes. Right, okay. Great. So ideally, a 380 and a 320 NEO are, uh, are possibilities. Cool. Yep. Okay, we'll round out the fly-by-wire section there. I'm sure we could go on about it all day, but at uh, the moment, you know, as you know, we always say on the podcast, we try and stay factual, and some of it, some of it's very much in the realm of possibilities right now, rather than actually, uh, I'm sure, what will what will take place. Um, so we'll move on to the Navigraph database. Um, if, if you could just tell us a little bit about, I think the last podcast we we knew that you were getting access to Navigraph and that it was pretty much imminent. Obviously, that's now happened. Um, what sort of features are you intending to add and are you still looking for user input with ideas? So right now, um, one thing regardless of um, user feedback, uh, one of the things that we do plan on putting in is the ability to look up a Sedona star and see what its description looks like, you know, like there's a left turn, right turn, fly this degrees until this waypoint, fly that degree until that waypoint, make sure you're at this altitude, whatever. Um, for a guaranteed fact, we do plan on putting in SID star lookup. Aside from that, um, it's 
really all community based. You know, what do you guys want to have put in it? And you know, we we asked this question when we were pretty much guaranteed that Navigraph had fulfilled their end and we were waiting for it to release. Uh, we asked the question, uh, what do you guys want? You know, we now have Navigraph support, so go into our issue queue and start writing features, you know, on what you want Navigraph to do for you in TFM. Other than one request that didn't even make it into uh, GitHub, we've had nothing. And so it's like, we can project what people want, but you know, we can't read, we can't read your mind. We have a general basis of what people want, but we don't, you know, it, we all need you to start telling us what you want TFM to do and what you don't want it to do. And we all need you to start putting it in GitHub because it's getting too large. There's too many things, like we said before, over and over and over again, and even here in this podcast, at least two or three times. We're only two people. We have a lot of things to do and a lot of places to go. We can't remember everything. We can't dream up everything. So people are going to have to start telling us what they want and what they don't want. So given that, we have Sidstar look up, and this is a question on the survey. Uh, rank the features in the order that you want them to be implemented, and there's five different choices. Um, so go fill out the survey and give your opinion on what you think should be done first and what order should it all be done so we know how to prioritize things. Okay, and get submitting those feature requests through it on GitHub. I mean, do you think part of the problem with the Navigraph um, database is that there was a lot of excitement for it quite a while ago when we were still using freeware and that we were going to get rid of FS Tramp by creating a freeware autopilot using Navigraph? And because that's no longer a priority, do you think maybe that's kind of left Navigraph a bit on the back burner and it just because it took so long? I mean, it very well could be a possibility, but I mean, we still have users that are barking us up a tree for Navigraph stuff. And so now that we have it, yeah. we need ideas on what to use it for. So, uh, I, and, and I'm not sure exactly that it's been a thing that's been waiting for so long and finally it got here and by then the interest has died because you know we have this issue with other things too mm -hmm. that that are short-lived you know before the idea comes up and then maybe a couple of months later it's implemented and put into tfm people just generally have no motivation or whatever to put new features in uh, is becoming a thing with bug reports too. You know, we'll go put it into GitHub. Oh, I guess I should do that. And then I, you never see it in GitHub. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, 
that I think is something that the community needs to address amongst themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And it is an option inside of TFM, right? There is an option that takes you straight to GitHub. I mean, from a, from yes. a purely uh, tangent perspective, do you ever consider the possibility of adding something in TFM where you can just bring up a dialogue to submit something and then, you know, it goes out to, to GitHub? But I mean, the, the menu item is there, guys. So it's not like it's, you know... It, yeah, you the menu item, the menu item is there. I mean, you just go to the menu item click on it and there's the issue queue yeah, yeah it's, it's right there for you okay so that's an avograph um a lot of potential there now that the, the database is there um you know i think it's been pretty common knowledge when when you've asked around and then and, and people will know if they're on the mailing list there's been consultation about why for example people still use fs tramp and the two main reasons were flying freeware but mainly even just to load your flight plan in and look at the description so i think although it's only one feature i think that's going to be a big a big thing hopefully yeah, I think with that and the combination of the SimBrief support coming back at yeah. some point, then there really would be absolutely no need to use it other than flying freeware. Yeah. Aside from that, one last thing about Navigraph yeah. that I want to put into there. There have been some people um, that have explored Pilot Edge. And I'm not going to get into the whole thing about Pilot Edge or what I think or feel about it, because what I think or feel about Pilot Edge doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. The point is, is that there are some users starting to expand their abilities and go over there. And I think one of our community members actually now has a uh, I1 type rating. And... Uh, so that's really cool, but I think there is a point with Navigraph and Pilot Edge because yeah. Pilot Edge doesn't necessarily require certain things, but it would be handy to have certain things. Say for an example, and I'll leave it at this and I'll leave it for everyone else to dream up ideas on what Pilot Edge or Ratsim may want you to do that TFM and Navigraph can do. But uh, there's some time ago, one of these, a community member was on Vatsim, or not Vatsim, Pilot Edge, and they randomly got disconnected and they reconnected and they were still in the air. So they got a hold of a controller, not sure, you know, if that was supposed to be the one and this controller said, I can sure help you out. What's your nearest VOR? And they said, I have no clue what my nearest VOR is. All I can tell you is this is where I'm currently at in my flight plan. And they said that doesn't really help us any because there's two or three, at least two or three people that control that airspace. It all depends on what direction you're headed. So we'll leave it at that. Start dreaming up your features. Yep, absolutely. And uh, that is definitely a, a feature with a really 
logical set of reasoning behind it and um it's, as you say going to help cloud edge users they do require that if you fly into airspace from uncontrolled airspace um and the final thing we have is the shift in the blog um so obviously the blog is now shifting to a youtube based um series um this is kind of something you're going to do every week and, and what's the thinking behind that so not sure you know if uh it's going to be every week but you know it, it's like you know with you and your weekly updates on mondays it has to be something significantly useful to cover mm -hmm. yeah sure. so in our particular case it has sure. to be something significantly useful with tfm in order to talk about because you know like even you had said some time ago i can't just come on for 30 seconds or one minute or two minutes <laughs> and just Absolutely. say oh by the way here's this here's that bye yeah i mean that doesn't work so you know it's going to be scattered probably like the blog was but i think i think that because youtube you know multimedia is more interactive they hear you they hear your tone they hear your excitement they hear your disappointment it's more interactive for them because you know you can do a blog post where you actually show a demonstration so it's more like a vlog instead of a blog it's just more of a laid-back one uh and stuff like that so i think and i find that more users are more apt to watch it or listen to it or whatever than read it because there's no emotion behind reading something right okay good to know and just to confirm for people so the blog site or the the, the blog page on the tfm site will that redirect currently to the youtube or embed those videos or is that going to be kind of a transition over to um to purely youtube and is there going to be textual based content on there for significant updates as well so what i think is going to happen is uh there's going to be a transition point where we post both on youtube and embed into a blog post uh as far as the text content so for an example this next video that's coming out which will demonstrate the new scenery builder the tfm keyboard the offline mode and stuff like that and uh, there are some hotkeys that are involved with this stuff and so what will happen generally is if there are hotkeys, then they will be listed in the YouTube description. Or they will be posted on the blog and linked to, probably linked to in the YouTube description and posted on the blog itself. Okay, good to know. So a good idea to check the um youtube video description especially going forward and just make sure yeah i will mention you know if there are hot keys that are going to be linked to i'll mention that in the video so just keep an eye out for it make sure you read it in the event that you missed the uh 
when I call it out. So it's like, you know, okay, so reason for this, you know, has been verified. So this last one that I put up there about a week or so ago, uh, moving the blog and like we did some, <laughs> we did like a minute or two of plane spotting, which I think was pretty cool. Um, that in one week had four times more views than the last text-based blog post did in three weeks. In one day. Oh, wow. In one wow. day, this YouTube video had four times more views on it than the last blog post did in three weeks. So all more of a push. Right, yeah. So statistically, this is already proving to be more interactive and more uh, more positive in terms of engagement. Yeah, and there is a survey question about uh, since we do anniversary streams, should we actually do more streams on the YouTube channel uh, other than the anniversary ones? So we're waiting on the results for that. Oh, I think we should have TFM cooking streams personally. I think that would be, um, <laughs> yeah. would be an amazing add-on. <laughs> Talking flight cooking. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, interesting. No, I think more content is always great, you know, and uh, it, it allows people to, to get to know you and Jason a little bit better, apart from just knowing you as kind of, oh, that's, that's the TFM developers. Um, actually get to interact with you a bit more. Yeah, and, you know, we could do some fun stuff like, uh, you know, I, I wasn't really totally expecting to do plane spotting at the end of that mm -hmm. video, but it's like, mm. you know, it, instead of just showing the inside of the cockpit, it's like, well, let's go outside the cockpit and show people, you know, the plane left side, right side, top, bottom, front, rear end, you know, that type of thing. And it's like you hear the airplanes like taxiing in and out, taking off, coming in, doing low speed flyovers. And it's like, well, let's sit here and do some plane spotting for a while. This is pretty cool. And so I mentioned yeah. the FSLTL uh, library and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, great, um, great add-on. Uh, for those who don't know, if you get the fly-by-wire installer, you can go and install an FSLTL traffic package that also comes with a VMR file for uh, vPilot, and then you will get that on Batsim 2, but you can use their injector to inject real-life traffic. And then uh, those sounds that you hear on my videos, uh, TFM videos, uh, you will, uh, you'll have in your simulator. Very immersive. Yeah. Um, Right. Well, I think we're coming to the end of what I have down. I mean, is there anything else you want to say, Andy? Any any final messages? Um, I think the last things probably that I would say is uh, get involved. We're not just two people pushing something out for you. You know, if it is really a community-driven project, then get involved. Do your bug fix it. Do your report bugs, report new features, give feedback on what's already there when it's asked for. And if you know how, write documentation, write source code, you know, there's a lot more to do, you know, and I, 
hate to bring it up a lot of times, but you know, there's there's a little bit for everyone. Source code, documentation, report bugs, report bug fixes, new features, feedback on features, and the all elusive money. And so, you know, maybe you're not the one for the money, but you're something else. Maybe you don't know about source code or you don't really care about features or <laughs> bug reports. You just want to see TFM grow because you think it's a really cool setup and you want to give some money, then, you know, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's easy to forget that donate options there. I mean, uh, let's mm. touch on that actually before we before we call it a day. You know, I know you've always maintained that there's no intention of putting any parts of TFM behind a paywall as of yet. Is that still the case or any changes there? It's still the case. Um, we really try not to put things behind a paywall um, unless we absolutely have no choice but to do it. Uh, at this point, we don't see any reason to do it. But, uh, you know, things do cost money. Do you think doing something like that would help you guys expand the team um, and therefore expand TFM? Or do you see it as more of a hindrance for the rest of the community if you were to do that? Um, well, expanding the team isn't so, you know, if, if we always maintain this and probably always will. Uh, if you want to <coughs> submit things like documentation or source code or whatever. You can do it through a pull request. We really can't yeah. have extra people having read-write permissions to the repository. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a security thing and a safety thing, not only for us, but for all of the users that we just can't have random people in and messing with the source code. Right. So, so you don't see any kind of, um, you don't see the option of, of, of sort of putting TFM behind a paywall and then using funds to hire people or to, to I don't want to say motivate people because you would hope people would be motivated to do things anyway, uh, as, as you and Jason obviously clearly are, but um, to, to motivate other people to come in, you don't see that as kind of a fair option. It's not necessarily a fair option, no, because... You know, TFM, if we put it behind a paywall, it's not going to really do anything. I mean, it, what we would charge for it compared to the number of users that would actively participate in it year after year still would not generate enough of an income to hire someone. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because I know a little while back, maybe a year or so, a bit more, there was some talk about having uh, kind of TFM expansion packages that you could get, and that would continuously generate income as new expansion packages were created. I mean, do you think that kind of model is is too much for something as small as TFM, or uh, or not? I mean, it would be feasible to do something like that, you know, but. See, here again, it possibly might not bring in as much of an mm. income. It may create more of a debate and a problem yeah. 
So now you have a split community. Um, yeah, I mean, don't you know? Don't think that I'm I'm pushing for that. I don't want people coming back and saying, "Hey, why is the podcast pushing for TFM to be paid?" Um, as always, we we like to put out different viewpoints and see what the perspective of whichever guest it is on the podcast would be. Um, so it's not that uh, that any of us necessarily believe in any of these particular viewpoints. It's more of a let's let's throw them around and. Um, see what the uh what the feeling around that is um so i think about with you know with that that's pretty much everything uh andy unless you've got anything else um i really can't think of anything else at the second no neither can than, I. I mean, we've been going for quite a while so yeah other than I go fill out pretty... the, go fill out the survey ah <laughs> uh, yes so where can they find that that'd be a, a nice little yeah so the survey and the survey's at talkingflightmonitor.com, and I'm sure that will be linked in the notes. Um, yeah. And it's towards the top of the page. It's The link is uh, uh, fall 2023 feedback form. And it's not very big, so, you know, it'll take a couple of minutes, fill it out. Let us know what you think. Yeah, definitely. It really doesn't take that long. It's um, it's yeah, uh, sure. probably not as big as last year's either. Um, so it, it shouldn't mm-hmm. take less than five minutes, really. Um, right. Well, great. Um, thanks very much for coming along, Andy. Like I said, um, I know it's been quite a long one, but there was a lot to, to discuss. And I thought, <laughs> especially with, yeah. with yeah. the full yeah. survey, we may as well keep track of the last full survey as well and see what's been going on with all these projects. Because, you know, things do change over time. And things yeah. get left by the wayside and priorities change. But, um, you know, uh, it's, yeah, we uh, we had a lot to cover. So thanks, Sandy, for coming along. Thanks, Marshall, for coming along. And, yeah, thank um, you for having me. I know I didn't really say much as a co-host, but, uh, yeah, thank you for having me still. Oh, no, no, yeah, we, we definitely, uh, many contributions as we can get. Uh, thanks to all the community members as well. A couple of people sent a few questions in. And, uh, you know, we try as a podcast to kind of anticipate what the community might uh, have questions on and sort of, you know, a wide variety of opinions um, to the to the, to the maximum degree as we can with respectful opinions anyway. Um, so, yeah, uh, as always, this will go on to our Spreaker page, iTunes, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify. If you want to contact us directly, you can go to bvipilots.com or bvipilots.net. Uh, there is a contact us page on there, or you can send an email to bvipilots at gmail.com. And uh, Andy, just the, the ways they can contact you. So you can get a hold of TFM through the website, talkingflightmonitor.com. There's a contact us form there. Uh, you can use that to get a hold of us, or if you need to, it's info, I-N-F-O, at talkingflightmonitor.com. Um, that's the main priority, uh, for getting a hold of us, if at all possible. And, uh, again, GitHub for feature requests, bug reports. That is github.com slash talking dash flight dash monitor slash talking dash flight dash monitor. And that is the repository. Um, you can also find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at talking flight monitor. 
All right, excellent. Right. And uh, this will go on uh, YouTube as well, I should add, on, I believe, the Blind Fight Simba channel and uh, the BVI Pilots channel. Um, so lots of places you can get this. You can even get it on your smart speaker, of course, through your podcast platform of choice. Right, well, I don't know when we will see you next, uh, Mandy, but hopefully, uh, if not before the end of the year, then uh, after the Christmas period. Yeah, probably. We have Flight Sim Expo coming up next year, and it's going to be interesting. Indeed, and uh, that's just been announced for uh, Vegas, right? Yes, uh, Tropicana at Las Vegas. Mm, Vegas, baby. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, that sounds like a fun month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds interesting. No gambling, Andy. Um, <laughs> uh, no, no, especially on behalf of TFM. All that TFM money. <laughs> gambling it all away. Yeah. Yeah. All right, folks. Thanks for coming along. See you in the next episode. All right. Keep an eye out on the groups and YouTube platforms for updates the WhatsApp mailing list and the blog, uh, which is, of course, transitioning to YouTube from TFM. That's where you can get all the latest. And we will see you in the next episode. And with that, another BVI Pilots podcast has landed.